Let's take that little poll that we just saw there on the screen. How many of you are Coke? How many of you are Pepsi? Really? That's very interesting because last night it was like two to one Pepsi over Coke. That just looked about to be even. Well, how many of you are Dr. Pepper instead of both of those? All right, we got a few of those too. All right, fantastic. Hey, it is great to see you. It is great to be together. I'm very excited about taking us back into the letter of 1 John today. Glad that you're here, that you've braved the elements, that you are out, and it's just good to be together. Do welcome you, whether in the worship center, maybe on the Moon Campus, or in the response venue or online. I'm just glad for this chance to be in God's Word. Today we're going to be talking about truth. And that might not excite you because all of us have circumstances and times where we might deal with the truth maybe not quite as well as we ought. There are times that we aren't completely honest in the things that we say. Sometimes that is true. It's true in a number of areas. Sometimes in what parents say to their children. In fact, I've got the top five lies that parents tell to their kids, all right? Maybe some of these are going to look a little bit familiar to you. Here's number five. If you keep making that face, it'll get stuck that way, right? You've maybe heard that. Maybe you've said that. Number four, if you swallow your gum, it'll stay in your tummy forever. I heard that one when I was a kid growing up. Number three, if you don't cut it out, I'm going to turn this car around which we know is just an idle threat. Number two, it's time for bed. Actually, it's not time for bed. It won't be time for bed for another couple of hours, but I'm tired and you can't tell time, and so it's time for bed. That's kind of the way that that's kind of the way that, that one goes. And number one is this, say it with me, you can't go swimming for an hour after eating, right? Yeah, we've all heard that. That's the classic one. But it's not just that parents can sometimes tell, you know, little white lies to their kids. Sometimes adults tell these sorts of lies to other adults like this. Here are the top five. No, officer, I have no idea why you pulled me over. Number four, oh, I love kale. I think a lot of adults are lying when they say that one. I have read and agree to all the above terms and conditions. You know that you've falsified that one. Number two, I'll be ready in five minutes. No poking your spouse on this one, okay? And number one lie, oh, pastor, I loved your sermon today. All right, that's, that's the one that I hear. All right, so a number of different lies. We're gonna be talking today about different ways that we handle the truth. And I'm calling this message an illuminating truth because we're talking about truth, that's for sure, but it's also illuminating in that there is something, there is a source that tells us, that illuminates for us the direction that we ought to go. And we have this whole thing hinted at, in fact, spoken directly for us in the passage that we jump back into today, which is 1 John and chapter 1, and in verse 5, here's what we get. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the passage that we have come to in our ongoing sermon series. We're going to dig into this here as we get going. First of all, I just invite you to open up a Bible to this spot, to 1 John. It's near the end of the New Testament. It's pretty much right before Revelation. You can find your way there. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use one in the venue or in the worship center where you're sitting under the seats or in the back of the room or somewhere you'll find a Bible provided for you if you would like to use one of those. 
One of these page numbers will help you. For this series, we are actually going to be in the English Standard Version. The ones in the seats are the New International Version, which is a great translation, as is the English Standard Version. That's what we're going to be using for this First John series as we think about the real thing. What does it mean to be the real thing, which is we are, what we're talking about here. And if you go to you version, those are the verses that you will find there. And I uh, just wanted to give you that heads up. You might want to pick up your own copy, hard copy, of the English Standard if you don't already have one and bring that one along with you, but uh, that's what we're going to be doing, how we're going to be handling this series together, which we are calling The Real Thing. This letter is very interesting, very fascinating to me because we find John coming and speaking into the lives of people to tell them how is it that you might orient your life in such a way that you will be the real thing, at least when it comes to understanding what God would have for us and living that way, what does it take? What does it require? John just comes and says, bang, 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 bang. Here are things that would identify you as being the real thing, which is really important because there are few criticisms that are leveled against people today that are more damning than to call them a hypocrite. And that's really what we're talking about here. Being a hypocrite is just being a fake person, if you will. You're not being, you're not living out your life as the real thing. Well, how do we get there? That's what we're talking about here in this series as we make our way along. Now, as we've already seen in this opening verse that we've looked at, it says that God is light. Now, I wonder how you respond to that idea when you see this that says God is light. We've always been told, well, that's just, a, that's just a beautiful truth about who God is. And that is true. It is a beautiful truth. But I wonder, as I've talked to many different people, and as we've sort of looked into this idea of light and what it is that God came to show us the way, the idea that God is light isn't something that's resonating with everybody, at least not in a positive way. And for many people, instead of looking on God as light and saying, well, that's just something that's awesome, I just love that fact, what it is, it's something that is actually causing a prick to happen in the heart because the fact that God is such pure light is only identifying the fact and pointing out even in a greater way the fact that I'm in darkness. So to look at God as light is only something that makes me feel even more guilty, and so I'm not really resonating with that. Or you might be here today and you might be, well, this is the first time I've ever heard that God is light. This is something that I just haven't really given a whole lot of thought to. So for one way or another, it's just something that is kind of a non-starter for you. And what I found is more and more, as much as you might think that God is light is something we all celebrate, that it's not being celebrated. But I believe today that we can turn that around. I believe that today there's something that we are going to look at that is going to help us in this regard to change our perspective and transform the way that we think of this idea that God is light. Because what if the light of Christ was never intended to be just guilt-inducing? Do you know people who walk through life and their basic perspective is that God is just this guy up in the sky who's looking down waiting for you to mess up so that he can punish you? You know anybody who feels that way? Do you feel that way? Has that been sort of the perspective that you've been brought up with, that sort of a cultural view of God in many circles? But what if that's not the case? What if instead of the light of Christ being a gotcha light that is just pointing out as you fail and where you fail, that it's more of a walk with me light? Picturing sort of the the arm of God, the arm of Jesus around you as he leads you on a way and the light of Christ is simply there shining so that you might see the way that you are to go. Not to nail you when you mess up, but to pull you back onto the road 
that he would have for you to be on? What if it's not so much for punishment, but it's for participation? See, when we think about light, when we think about the truth that it is pointing us toward, truth is simply not something to be understood as as something that's intellectual. That's what oftentimes we do. We reduce truth to just something that we believe, something that we think. But this whole idea of Jesus walking alongside us and shining the light on the path is so that we might not just know it in our head, but so that we might act it out with our feet. That's really the key truth that we want to point out today and celebrate today, is that you don't know, you don't know, let's bring it up, you don't know the truth until you live the truth. There's an action component that is involved in pursuing Christ. And so if he's shining a light on our way, he's shining a light so that we might do something with that which we see or the direction that he reveals for us to go. The passage we're looking at today gives us some very practical areas where we can take and apply this most foundational of all principles. And the first of those is this. This stuff is all there on your outline You can fill in those blanks. The first of these realities is that to live the truth, you must look to the light for clarity. You must look to the light for clarity. Light has a lot of different uses in our day and age today. There are all sorts of different things that's constantly being being used for that are some of them just kind of strange and different. I saw some unusual ones this week. I thought I'd show you. Look at this one right here is a bed, sheet, and pillow. This light you're literally sleeping underneath the light. That one's pretty odd. Or maybe if you're into jewelry, you might want some of these lit LED eyelashes to wear around. I don't know, maybe you wouldn't want it. Or maybe if you are going to be getting married soon and you're looking for just that unusual wedding gown, how about this one? A literal wedding gown that somebody wore. It's LED lit up, all right? Lots of unusual uses for light these days, but when we look at what it is that's really being symbolized by calling Christ the light, it's really not that odd. It's not that unusual. It, in fact, it's, it's really very simple and straightforward. When we think about light just in the most general way, we walk into a room, we flip on the light switch so we might have light, so that we might have clarity, so that we might be able to see where to go. And we really don't have to go much further than that to understand what it is this light is that we're talking about here today. See, as John opens up this letter, and we saw this last week, he's stating that God came into our world so that we would know who he is, so that we might understand what His purpose was for us and the direction that he wanted to call us to go. And so what we saw last week is that he came and John says, we've seen him. We have been able to interact with him and talk with him. We have even touched him. He came to take away any confusion that we might have about who he is and ultimately then about what it is that he would have us to do. Verse 5 offers even more clarity, which we've seen already. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We're all familiar with the idea of light representing that which is pure and good and righteous and holy and darkness representing those things which are sinful and evil and so forth. So if we want to live a good and pure life, then what we simply need to do is follow the light. That's pretty clear, I would say. See, there are a number of things that we look at Jesus and we say, these are things that are true of Christ. And what is it that he's trying to lead me toward? He's trying to lead me to emulate who it is that he is. In theology, there are things known as communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. They're just fancy words that basically mean 
that there are certain attributes of God that we can take on and live out ourselves. They're communicable is what that means. And we might not be able to live them out as perfectly as Christ does, but Christ is good. It is one of his attributes, and he calls us to be good. He calls us toward kindness and forgiveness and, and to be gracious. All of these things are true of God in a perfect way, but he is calling us, he is showing himself to us so that we might see who he is, so that we might know what it is that his standard would be for us in terms of what it is that he would desire for us to take on. He reveals himself and he calls us to follow after that light. He gives it to us for clarity because the truth of the matter is there are plenty of competing voices and influences that are out there in our world that are calling us to go their direction. Sometimes we might think of those things as actually being darkness, at least as they come in and try to lead us or woo us away from the direction that God would have us to go. So we listen to the things that are being promoted in our culture and their attributes and attitudes that are like, I'm number one, you're number one, you should live to be number one, which is directly against the attribute of God, which is complete humility. So the culture is revealing darkness while Christ came to reveal light and help us to know what the direction is that we ought to go. Some say, well, if it's right for you, then it's right. Some say, have it your way. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. Have it your way. Others say to, I'm showing my age there, I guess, a little bit. Some say to pamper yourself, which is an image that just never computes for me because I changed too many diapers. And the image of pampering yourself just gives me a different mental picture. All right, but there are competing voices, which is why it is so important that we might have an objective standard that is out there to show us the way that we ought to go so that there might not be any confusion in what it is that God has. The standard is the light of Christ. He shows us what is pure. He shows us what is holy. He shows us the direction that we need to go simply by emulating who he is. His light shows us that true righteousness isn't found in just knowing what is right, but in doing what is right. You don't know the truth until you live the truth is what he is saying to us. And he begins by revealing to us who he is and what it is that he desires for us shows us the light for clarity that's where he starts if you want to be the real thing that's where we start also he says to own your darkness in honesty own your darkness in honesty beginning in verse 6 John starts probing into the lives and the practices of the people who were going to be receiving this letter and what we pointed out last week is there are so many similarities between the first century people that he was writing to and church that he was churches that he was writing to and our culture and our churches today as well so there's much here for us to learn verse 6 actually says this if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. That's actually pretty pointed, but just who is being lied to when he says that there is a lie going on? Well, actually, I see this as being a threefold lie or falsehood that is present here that he's thinking about in this verse. First of all, you are, when we lie, we are lying to others. 
Because what is happening is that we're presenting ourselves to be one thing when we're actually something different altogether, which is an an insidious lie because we're representing ourselves, walking in darkness. It says we're lying. Who are we lying to? We're lying to others because we're saying that we're actually walking in the light when we're walking in the darkness, which is so insidious because we are ones who are to be representatives of the light. And when we walk in darkness and say that what we are is light, then we're actually saying darkness is light, which is just confusing. It's confusing to other people. And it's also demeaning of Christ because of the standard that he calls us to. And we're living according to darkness and proclaiming that to be light. And people are like, well, you look like just everybody else. So this whole Christ thing must not have much reality to it is where that goes. The lie is to others. The lie is to yourself because you're presenting yourself to be something that you are not. And you are also lying to God when you're walking in the darkness and proclaiming that you're having fellowship with the light at the same time. And lying to God is especially damaging because it is both futile and it promotes division. It's futile because you're lying to God who knows all things and so he knows that you're lying. How foolish is that? A number of years ago, Carolyn was asked to make a carrot cake, this really fancy carrot cake for this formal English tea that we were going to be going to. And so she made it, and it was awesome. And we piped these frosting carrots, these orange frosting carrots, all around the top. You've probably seen something like that. It looked really awesome. It was cool. Well, this for the next day, and so we put it in the fridge. And the next morning, we got up and opened the fridge, and all of those orange carrots were gone. Like, where in the world could... Melissa was on the scene at that point, but she was just a toddler. She was in her crib. She wasn't able to get out of her crib by herself. And so it was like, well, what, what happened here? But what else could have happened? So we went into Melissa and we said, do you know anything about the carrots on the cake? Did you eat the carrots on the cake? She said, no. Which sounded really convincing until we looked and she had orange frosting all around her mouth. It was like she was trying to present herself as one thing when something else was true, and it was obviously true. And that's how futile it is when we try to lie to God. It's like, why in the world would you do that to an omniscient God who knows exactly what is going on? We would be far better off by acknowledging the truth because that is the, pre- or that is the direction that takes us back into genuine fellowship with God instead of lying and just saying that we have fellowship. Well, that's part of the danger and why it's damaging to lie to God and also because it promotes division when we do so because the number one thing that we want to do with someone to whom we have lied, if, if I lie to you and you know that I lied to you and I know that you know that I lied to you, I don't want to spend any time with you because it makes me feel like a hypocrite because there's this elephant in the room because I want to avoid that, I avoid you. And do you think it works any different with God? No, it doesn't. When we lie to God, our desire is to avoid God, to avoid spiritual things, to avoid spiritual contexts, like church, small groups, because we just have to salve our own conscience, which basically means we have to avoid if we're going to choose to lie and to maintain that. So instead of lying, you need to own your darkness and honesty. That's what he is saying here. What he goes on to also say is that when we lie, we are not practicing the truth. I love the way that he puts this because it just dovetails right in so beautifully with what it is that we're saying here today. He doesn't say when you're a liar, you don't know the truth, even though that's the way that we would typically speak of it. 
What he says is when you're lying, you're not practicing the truth. Because in order for truth to really be present in your heart and in your life, it's not there because you know it in your head. It's not just an intellectual concept. You don't know truth until you live the truth. That's what we're saying today. You don't know the truth until you live the truth. And it's very interesting to me to look at the way that the New Testament talks about what it means to live out the truth. Some of the ways that it talks about it, it says when if you're going to live according to the truth, you need to obey the truth, which is an active step that we take. It says you need to conduct yourself in the truth, which sounds very much like an action that we go and take. And John, in his third letter, we're studying his first letter, in his third letter, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's the point. You don't know the truth until you live the truth, until you walk in the truth. And some of us are hanging on to the things that we know as the things that are giving our conscience some salve that are taking us to the place where we feel like we must be in well connection with God, good connection with God, because we know it. It's not enough to know it because you really don't know it until you Live it. That's what we are saying here. This is such a big deal. It is possible to, for biblical knowledge and spiritual failure to go hand in hand. It's possible for spiritual knowledge and spiritual failure, biblical knowledge and spiritual failure to go hand in hand. Knowledge is great, but it cannot stop there. You don't know the truth until you live the truth. which means we need to do some examination. We need to ask ourselves, what demonstrations are there in my life of the fact that I know the truth? Not because you can recite it. Not because if I ask you the question, you know the answer. It's all proven based on what it is you're doing, how it is you're living. What evidence is there in your life that it is true? And that's what I would simply ask you. What evidence is there in your life that you are walking in the truth, that you are obeying the truth, that you're conducting yourself in the truth? As the New Testament says, this is the standard. For some of us, we come to this place where it's like, well, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, so I'm all good. And I can just kind of leave it there because I'm too busy to do anything else. I'm too busy to engage in such a way that would demonstrate the fruit of my life in Christ. Now you're here and that's fantastic. That's, I think, a very important step. But it's a step. Just a couple of years ago, the elders sat down and they said, well, what would be a win for every person at Pathway? If we could make one thing true of every person at Pathway, what would that be? There would be a win, spiritually speaking. And that's where, maybe you've heard it, we've talked of worship, grow, serve. Worship, grow, serve that every pathway person would be engaged in all three of those ways, that we would be in a worship environment on a weekend, that we would be in a growth environment outside of the worship service, small group, Sunday morning group, those sorts of things. Or, also, not or, also serve. That we would be using the gifts that we have been given for the building up of the body, which we all have been, believer in Christ and we'd be applying ourselves in service worship grow serve it's evidence that the truth of God is living in you and because you know it but because you
do it because you live it. Now, for one, I'm very thankful that verse 6 isn't the end of this passage. Verse 7 goes on and gives us hope. John goes on. Here's what he says. But if we walk in the light, interesting that he says it that way, isn't it? Not if you know the light or know of the light. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Sin and darkness are synonymous and there is nothing that you can do for your sin except call out to God. But thankfully, he has done everything that is necessary to provide for us in the midst of our sin. He says he will meet us there. He says that he will provide for us what we need through the blood of Jesus Christ. He knew that the power of the darkness was so great that he would need to come and break that power, break those chains through his presence and through his blood. Because of that, now we can say of ourselves, as Paul does in Ephesians, if we can get there, There we go. At one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. Paul is emphasizing that very same thing. Or or John in his gospel, we're studying his epistle, the letter, but in his gospel, he says this. Well, Jesus says this. He records it. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This would be the great place to stop this text and just celebrate the goodness of what it is that God has done for us that we can have life in the light, not walking in the darkness. But the text doesn't stop here. John has just pointed out that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin, but there were some who who were arguing that sin really wasn't an issue for them. Just as back in verse 6, it starts, if we this, if we that, and it goes on to describe some of the false teaching that was being put out there and people were getting sort of sucked into. Well, he talks about that again as we get into verse 8. He says this, says, if we say we have no sin, as the false teachers were saying they had no sin, they were leading other people to the belief that they didn't have sin either. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 says much the same thing. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. These false teachers were claiming that you could live in such a way that you were free from sin altogether. That happened in a couple of different ways or according to a couple different mindsets of thought. One of those is that they were saying that they were free from sin in that it didn't have any power or any impact on their lives because there was a belief in that day that the physical body and the spiritual spirit or soul were completely and totally separate. There was a wall between them and, they, and you did not jump over one to the other. So you could live basically in the physical body any way you wanted to live And as long as when you were working on the spiritual side of yourself, your soul, you were focused and you were intentional, you were great spiritually and it had no influence whatsoever on your physical or vice versa. So you could live however you wanted and it wouldn't impact your spiritual soul. That's convenient, isn't it? Yeah, do whatever you want. doesn't matter. It won't have any impact on your life in any way beyond that. There were others who claimed that they'd actually come to the place, this is the second of those different false teachings, that they'd actually come to the place where they did not sin anymore. Sin wasn't an issue for them because they never sinned. Now, 
These were some of the views that were being held in the first century. Do you know that those views are still being held in the 21st century? If you go and you study New Age or you study mystic religions, you will find that there is this distinction between soul and, and body. And so if you use the right mantras and the right meditation, you can be transported to another level, another place, another plane where you can work on your spiritual self but that has no connection whatsoever to the way that you live in the physical body. Do whatever you want, but as long as you do your mantras, as long as you practice according to what their truth would be, you're fine. Also, beyond that, it wasn't all that long ago that I had a series of ongoing conversations with a person right here who was claiming that they never sin ever, that they hadn't sinned for years, and that there's just never any sin in their lives. John has something to say according to those systems of belief. He says, you're deceived. You're deceived. The truth is not in you, is what he is saying. So, in the big picture, John is saying, if you want to walk in the light, if you want to be the real thing, the genuine article You don't deny the darkness. You look to the light for clarity. You own your darkness in honesty. And then also, lastly, you confess your sin for remedy. That's the last of them. Confess your sin for remedy. Those who were claiming to be sinless did so because they saw it as a way to elevate themselves spiritually. But ironically, attempts for self-elevation are only things that are going to insist that you remain mired in the darkness. Because as you elevate yourself, as you just proclaim yourself to be something that you're not, again, we're right back to the lie, which is the very thing that separates us from God. So spiritual elevation is not something that's happening at all. We're insisting that we stayed mired in the darkness. A God-honoring spiritual life is not found in claiming that we've arrived, but in admitting that we haven't. It's not found in claiming that you're something special. It's saying that in my heart, I'm something awful. And I just simply have to call out to God and what his blessing is for me in my life. And he will provide according to his blood as we've already looked at. In verse 8, John warns that if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us, but immediately in verse 9, he jumps into the good news, which is a verse that might sound familiar to you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Imagine the worst of the sins you've ever committed. Or the sin that continues to snare you. You just can't seem to get beyond it. Or the hurt that you have brought into somebody's life. Now you might step back from that and say, yeah, that wasn't that big of a deal. Didn't make all that much of a difference. It doesn't matter all that much. But inside, it, it nags at you. You try to, try to present a front that suggests maybe just to yourself, but you try to present it that this really isn't that Serious a matter. But it's still there. And when you're open with yourself and when you're honest and when you're willing to peel back the onion of your protective layer that you put over your heart, you know that it's there. And you feel it and it gnaws at you inside. John says, if you confess that, you will find forgiveness. 
Now, there are certain circumstances where the actions we have taken are going to have some ongoing consequences, but he says that you can be free and pure and clean and righteous and holy. The light of Christ and the work of the blood of Jesus applied to your spirit and your soul through your confession brings wholeness. It's a beautiful thing. But consider the flip side. If we insist that we are clean when we're not, if we say that we're having fellowship in the light while we're really walking in the darkness, what we are doing is we're taking that forgiveness that God stands over us ready to pour out on us when we confess our sin because we're turning our back on Him, the forgiveness ends up essentially practically being poured out on the ground, having no benefit for you whatsoever. What makes the difference? The difference is confessing our sin, owning our darkness in honesty, recognizing that I can't accomplish this all for myself, so I need to turn to the one who can. I wonder, my friend, is your sin worth spurning the forgiveness of God over? Is it worth it to you to project to yourself and to others that you're something that you're not, understanding that as you do so, you're saying, I'm not interested in your forgiveness, God, and not experiencing it? I have to believe that none of us are really that hard-hearted. Though we live in that way, I believe that we want the former. How do we ever get there? Simple as can be. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. So where are you? As you hear this, as you ponder this, as you think about this, what are those things that are keeping you from experiencing the beautiful forgiveness of God? What are those things you've been holding on to? What are those, those sins, that wayward move away from God you've been holding on to? It's not that we can avoid sin forever and always. We've already looked at that. We're going to fall back into it. But as we do, we, through the blessing of God, can immediately find that forgiveness by confessing. Then we mess up again, confess again. We mess up again, confess again. Sometimes we get to the place where it's like, well, God must just be angry with me for having to constantly come and confess. No, God is thrilled with you because you constantly come and confess. Even if it's a moment-by-moment thing, bad thought, confession. Bad thought, confession. Do you think God really minds that? Sure, He would choose that you not keep falling into the sin. But to come for confession... He doesn't get tired of that. That's why he came. is so that he might provide a way beyond it. So when we say, I don't need it, what we are saying is, Jesus, you're a fool because you came and died for something that I don't even need, that I don't even want. That's the thing that breaks the heart of God is when we have the opportunity to walk in fellowship and we say, I'd rather walk on my own. I wonder, are you walking in darkness but claiming to have the light of life, claiming to have fellowship with Him in the light? I want to give you a moment 
just yourself between you and God to ponder where you are and to take steps toward the end of finding that forgiveness. Essentially, I want to give you time to confess your sin to God so that you might find that healing, so that you might find that wholeness that He came to reveal to us through His light and wants us to live in. You don't know the truth until you live the truth. And you can't live the truth until you live out what it is that He has called us to do, which is to confess our sin. Take some moments on your own and do your business with God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the light. We thank You for the light of Jesus that shines, that gives us clarity, that helps us to understand where it is that we're walking in darkness. There's so many influences around us that can cloud that, that can even celebrate the darkness, that celebrate when we live in the shadows. Lord, we thank You that the light of Jesus casts away all shadows that we can see plainly and clearly where we are, where it is that you would have us to go. Lord, I pray that you would help us to own our darkness in honesty because it's only through that that we're going to find our way to the place that you'd have us to be. Lord, I believe there's been confession going on as we have heard from you. And I thank you. I praise you that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to defeat the darkness, and that simply by coming and confessing our sin to you, that your forgiveness is poured out on us. Lord, thank you for that abundant blessing. I pray that we would never be people who would diminish it and demean it by letting it sit there unused, by proclaiming somehow that we've got it covered on our own because the sin is not in us. But thank you for your promise. Thank you for the hope that comes with it. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that was poured out on our behalf that we might experience it. We thank you for it in his precious name. Amen.